The boss is here. That was Vince McMahon welcoming fans back, welcoming a live crowd back to WWE SmackDown. It certainly felt a lot different on SmackDown last night. They had 14,000 fans packed into Houston's Toyota Center, and it just felt different. Like, I know they, obviously, they had had WrestleMania in front of live fans, but that was in a a stadium, and it just felt different different to everything else that they had been doing in the Thunderdome. This was like the Thunderdome had escaped. The fans had escaped those square boxes that they had been trapped in for 70 weeks. They finally broke free and became free to make their own crowd noise. And that was interesting, too, because it took a while to adjust to the idea that The sounds I'm hearing, the crowd noise I'm hearing, is actually being made by a crowd and not being piped in by WWE. So it was very interesting. And we can kind of expect similar crowds for Sunday and Monday, like both Money in the Bank and Raw. Ticket sales hovering around like the 10,000 range. So it'll be a similar vibe for those shows as well. But WWE returning to the road was not the only thing that happened in professional wrestling this week. This is the Spoiler Free Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Gentleman Ian. And by the end of this show, you will be completely up to date on everything that has been making headlines in the world of professional wrestling this week. Except for I will omit any information which could potentially spoil your future enjoyment of the shows. Whether that's spoilers on future angles, returns, matches, anything like that. We will leave that out so that it doesn't spoil your future enjoyment of the shows. But let's start out this week with a top story involving AEW doing very well in television rating this week. Let's start with that. Television ratings and professional wrestling have an interesting relationship. Many wrestling fans obsess over how their favorite promotion is doing in the ratings. Other wrestling fans just can't get their head around why so many people are obsessed with television ratings. Like, perhaps perhaps caring about television ratings to the degree that you don't want your favorite show to get canceled because of poor viewership, perhaps that level of caring about television ratings matters. But this week-to-week checking how many viewers, were they up 2%, were they down 2%, a lot of wrestling fans are just just kind of can't understand why this is such a major thing to so many fans. But it really just goes back to the Monday Night Wars. Uh, um, When Nitro and Raw were battling for Monday Night Supremacy, checking the ratings uh, every Tuesday just became something ingrained into the wrestling fan mentality. And then that mentality got a bit more of a kick in the butt uh, during the Wednesday Night Wars with NXT and AEW. Of course, that was sort of a a short-lived war in comparison to the Monday night ones, but uh, it still sort of uh, helped to further ingrain this idea that that checking the ratings like once a week is something that wrestling fans should do. And the counter to this point of view is that, well, look, I'm I'm a sports fan. I follow my favorite team, and I have no idea how they do in the TV ratings. I have no idea how many people watch my favorite sports team every week in the ratings. Like that, it it doesn't really enter into the sports fan mind frame. And and same with like, tele, like, do you know how many people watch your favorite television show every week? Like non-wrestling television show every week? Like I, I don't. I, I, I'm, I don't know if that's a thing for people who like really love TV shows. But it's become something for wrestling fans. 
maybe it maybe wrestling fans focus on it more than they should. Who knows? But it still can be a bit of a barometer of the overall popularity of a certain promotion. And that's why I think it's uh, it's important to, or we should at least talk about the rating that AEW brought in this week, because I think it points to the overall popularity or growing popularity of, of the promotion. Now, they didn't pull in a rating that was better than they ever did before. So it's not... It's not like they've seen significant growth or something. They've done better ratings than they did this week. But this week, just it was such a jump that it, it feels notable. So they went over the 1 million mark, which is always kind of a big deal. Uh, it was 1.025 million. So 1,025,000. That was up 154,000 viewers from the previous week. And this is all just in the United States, of course, but that is where the bulk of the money is coming from. Then in the demographic that advertisers are said to care the most about, um, they got a 0.4 rating. And those two numbers are the highest that they have done since the May the 5th episode, which of course was Blood and Guts. So that almost seems unfair, right? Like you put in a double ring cage match, so that's like the biggest match you can put on TV. And they got a 0.42 for that and a 1.09 million viewers. So over 1 million, a 0.4 in the key demographic, that's that's a good number for AEW. But now let's compare what AEW Dynamite is doing on TNT with what the other big wrestling shows on in the United States are doing. So let's start with Monday Night Raw. So this week's Raw brought in 1.6 million viewers, and they did a 0.41 in the demo. So that key demo that 18 to 49 demo, I mean, Dynamite is right there with them on that. Where where Raw is beating AEW Dynamite is with viewers over that age range and under that age range. And it, it's the family thing that WWE is, is stronger in than AEW Dynamite is. It's the multi-generational aspect. It's parents who grew up loving wrestling, and then when they have kids, they want to recreate things they enjoyed about uh, their childhood, so they introduce their kids to wrestling. And so you've got an older person and younger people watching it. And that's actually the mentality which has caused WWE to be the most successful professional wrestling company in history, which it is. Um, When Vince McMahon took over his father's company in like 82 to like 84. I think he actually took ownership in 82, but he started really doing his thing in like 84. The idea was to, was to kind of get it away from the boxing crowd and into families. And so the, these are the casual fans, right? Like somebody who loved wrestling up until they were maybe 16, 17, 18, but then never really stayed with it throughout their adult life, but then come back to it when they have kids. That's where WWE is the strongest. But that sort of multi-generational thing also means that you have a, a continuing, renewing fan base, right? Like if your fan base is entirely in 18 to 49, you've got to be bringing these bringing these impressionable 18-year-olds into the mix. And you're competing with a lot of things there. But if you've created positive childhood memories in the minds of people who will eventually become parents, they're going to be their advertisers. They're, they're going to advertise the product to their kids. Or not even advertise. They just sit their kids down in front of it and say, this is wrestling. That guy John Cena, he was like my Hulk Hogan. That kind of thing. But AEW is creeping up in that in that 18 to 49 demographic. Sorry, Raw, Raw this week got a 0.43 rating in the key demographic. They had gotten a 0.41 rating the week before. They are actually averaging a 0.53 rating in the demo, and they're averaging 1.7 million viewers. So Raw is going down. <laughs> Raw viewership is going down. We'll see what happens when they're back in front of the, the live crowds. I think that'll probably 
increase things. Certainly AEW in their second week being back out on the road, that had a big impact on, on their ratings. I mean, how much was them being back out on the road? How much was just them having a hot product? Who knows? But that's sort of where Raw kicks around. They're, they're over one and a half million. They are sort of a 0.5 in the key demographic. So about half a million more viewers than AEW. Just a few more viewers in that key demo, though. Uh, but then a lot more viewers uh, in the demographics outside of that key demo. But the other key thing to remember uh, as well is that AEW has only been around for two years. They just haven't had enough time to, to uh, like... Like their fans haven't had enough time to grow up and have kids and then push the product onto their kids. That hasn't happened yet. Even even if after that first show, an AEW fan was so excited that they that they they the 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 couple went home and created a baby. Then nine months later, the baby came out. That child is still only one year and three months. They've still got uh, just under seventeen years until they're in the key demo. So they haven't had enough time yet. So SmackDown, let's go to SmackDown's ratings. So SmackDown's ratings the last two weeks haven't been good, but everybody's complete competing with the NBA Finals a little bit here. So in general, SmackDown averages around 2 million viewers and about a 0.5 in the 18 to 49. So double the amount of viewers of AEW and like a, like a 25% increase in uh, the key demo. So SmackDown is the most watched pro wrestling show in the United States. NXT, the key demo for NXT is about half of what AEW does. And their total viewership hovers around the 700,000 mark, which, I mean, AEW is up over a million this week. I'd say... The previous two weeks, they'd been up high 800,000s. So that's sort of where NXT is at. So in the United States, you've got SmackDown's your top show, Raw's your second top show, AEW's third, and NXT is fourth in terms of viewership. But AEW is not that far off. They are, like, they are clearly lower than SmackDown and Raw. Clearly lower than SmackDown. But kind of in... But they're in striking distance of Raw in that key demo area. And they're growing, or they seem like they're growing. It's tough to tell because they they were preempted for like all of June. And then they had been up against NXT for their entire existence. So it's kind of tough to, to see where they're gonna where they're gonna sort of land on as their average number. But it, it seems like like that, they got over a million on a night where they were up against Game 4 of the NBA Finals. It it feels like that number's going to go up. Now, we have to see what happens for Raw and SmackDown, too, when they're back out on the road. Because we still haven't had a Raw on the road yet. Raw, Raw has entirely been in, in the Thunderdome still. This Monday's Raw will be the first one on the road. So anyways, that's where your your favorite wrestling channels or favorite wrestling promotions are doing in the television ratings. Maybe once a month is a good idea to look into this. Let's move on to the next story. So the biggest story in wrestling this week happened pretty early in the week. Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff passed away at the age of 71. Orndorff, for those old enough to remember it, he was one of the biggest heels during the Hulkamania era of professional wrestling. And if you're old enough to remember it, the Hulkamania age of professional wrestling is one of the most significant periods in wrestling history. It just is. Regardless of what your opinion of Hulk Hogan is now, you, I mean, so many people were involved in, in Hulkamania, not just Hulk Hogan. Obviously, Roddy Piper played a huge role. Vince McMahon played a gigantic role in Hulkamania. Hulkamania does not happen without Vince McMahon. Actually, that's kind of an interesting story, because when Hulk Hogan started to really hit it big, it was kind of when Rocky came out, right? When Rocky III came out, he was Thunderlips. Um, now, Hogan had had, he'd been, he'd wrestled in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He was wrestling in the AWA, but the AWA 
despite Hogan's popularity, they wouldn't run with him because he didn't have that amateur wrestling background, which sounds so ridiculous now, right? Like, like, could you imagine if wrestling today had this attitude that unless you had an amateur wrestling background, you couldn't be pushed as a top guy? That'd be ridiculous. But that was the mentality at the time. That mentality actually ran so deep, it caused a problem, or it caused like a little problem when Hogan came to the WWF. So when Hogan, so, so the AWA won't run with Hogan as a top guy. They're like, well, he's great. He's super popular. He's gone <laughs> viral. Of course, they don't know what that is in 1984, but he had done that. AWA won't run with him. So Vince McMahon Jr., of course, who is, he's just taken over his father's company and he's ready to, to tear the wrestling industry uh, to shreds. He's, he's going to completely remake it in his image. He's going to take it out of the smoky bars with boxing fans and he's going to put it in front of families and he's going to market toys and all the things that he did. To Vince McMahon Jr., the idea that somebody needed an amateur wrestling background to be the top star in your company was ridiculous. But the champion he had at the time didn't think it was that ridiculous. Bob Backlund refused to lose the title to Hogan because he didn't have that amateur wrestling background, but he would lose it to the Iron Sheik, who did have that amateur wrestling background, and then the Iron Sheik would lose it to Hulk Hogan. And then once Hulk Hogan was the champion, the wrestling industry just changed because Hogan became a star like the industry had never seen before. He transcended the industry. He was a mainstream star, so much so that the general public equated wrestling with Hulk Hogan. And for the most part, like your casual fan wouldn't even know that wrestling existed on like that there were wrestling shows without Hulk Hogan on them. That like that's how important the general public felt Hulk Hogan was to wrestling. And Paul Orndorff was one of the guys that helped put him in that spot by giving him that antagonist to fight against. And Paul Orndorff was one of his top, top heels of all time. Numerous big-time events were main-evented by Hulk Hogan versus Paul Orndorff, not the least of which was WrestleMania One. Now, of course, Roddy Piper was the main antagonist. In, at WrestleMania 1. If you're a Marvel fan, Roddy Piper was the big baddie, and Paul Orndorff was like the guy who gets killed in the penultimate episode. That sort of, that sort of thing was going on. But Orndorff was still huge. And I remember Orndorff and Hogan had a huge main event match on Saturday night's main event in a steel cage. It was, it was a big match. And they went to, to like video replay because both Hogan and Orndorff had escaped the cage at the same time. And so they went to video replay. Got like, <laughs> Thankfully, video replay has not played a major role in wrestling since. But they went to video replay to see whose legs really hit the floor. And, uh, you know, and then Hogan and, and Orndorff uh, would main event that big, uh, that big show in Toronto that, that came even before WrestleMania. Uh, for those of you who know, yes, I am in Toronto. I was four years old when that event took place, so no, I, I did not attend. Um, I didn't start attending wrestling events until my family moved to Calgary in two years, and I saw my first when I was six years old. And saw Owen Hart wrestle Muck and Sing for the Stampede Wrestling show that Bruce Hart had... It wasn't Stu Hart Stampede Wrestling, it was like the Hart brothers had, had brought Stampede Wrestling back. But yeah, Paul Orndorff, I mean, if, if you were a wrestling fan during that era, he was one of, the, one of the biggest stars, for sure. Absolutely. And of course, he would go on. He'd train a bunch of people at the power plant and, and a very lasting legacy in, in professional wrestling, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff will have. And unfortunately, he, he passed away this week at, at 71. And uh, certainly our condolences go out to all of his family, friends, and of course, fans. <laughs> So for this story, I'd just like to give a little reminder that I'm not going to give away any information that would possibly uh, ruin or spoil future angles or surprises that may take place on, say, the Slammiversary show, which takes place tonight. But some stuff has been happening online that I think you should know about. 
In December, Tony Khan started coining the phrase the Forbidden Door. He even named himself the Forbidden Door. Basically, the Forbidden Door is a door that wrestlers can pass through and go from one promotion to the other. And there are certain companies that have just put a giant lock on the Forbidden Door. They won't let anybody go through the Forbidden Door. Doesn't, I mean, WWE kind of says they're open for business, but the evidence of that is a little lacking. But three different promotions, one of which hadn't really been in on the Forbidden Door game until now, have started to tease these Forbidden Door talent exchanges. Now, I'm not going to go into too many details because I don't want to speculate on something that could turn out to be true. And But, AEW, NWA, Ring of Honor, and Impact Wrestling have all put out tweets or social media posts lately which seem to imply that the Forbidden Door is just going to kind of get wider. And it definitely seems to be like this is going to happen for female wrestlers um, more so than any other. And I think a little bit of that is that a bunch of promotions, especially from the smaller companies, could use deeper women's rosters. And so it's helpful to women's wrestling in general if you can just have people like Thunder Rosa or Deanna Perrazzo just kind of bounce around to different promotions and, and give some inexperienced wrestlers a chance to work with some more experienced wrestlers and to kind of get better and grow a little bit. But it's not entirely female wrestlers. The NWA and AEW's FTR had a very interesting Twitter exchange this week. And all of this is posted over at SpoilerFreeWrestling.com. But basically it started when Dax Harwood just responded to a, a, a tweet that had the NWA Tag Team Championships uh, in a little video. And Dax said, my God, I love tag team wrestling. That's all he said. And the NWA tweeted at him saying, and you're part of a great tag team. We have those championships, referring to the NWA Tag Team Championships. And they continued, our boss knows your boss, as in Billy Corgan knows Tony Khan. And then they wrote, hmm, with an emoji that has somebody thinking. No, why? Because you know FTR with their love of old school wrestling and the NWA's promotion of old school wrestling. I mean, there's, there's new school stuff in the NWA, but there's definitely an old school presentation. Wouldn't it be interesting to see FTR in the NWA? But they feel like, like that's a, those are big wrestlers for AEW to just let go to another promotion. But then that is kind of what AEW is doing with John Moxley in New Japan Pro Wrestling. John Moxley is going to be on that resurgence show in Los Angeles for New Japan Pro Wrestling next month. AEW has his rights. They have the right to say. No, you can't wrestle on a show for another promotion in the United States. You can wrestle for New Japan Pro Wrestling in Japan. Now, what caused AEW to say, ah, it's fine, he can wrestle for New Japan Pro Wrestling in the United States? Could kind of be the pandemic, the idea that it's might not be, like, for John Moxley to go to Japan, he would have to go, he'd have to quarantine, like, it, it would take weeks, the, the process would be lengthy. So perhaps they're thinking, okay, well, he can't do that. We don't want an upset John Moxley. Let's just let him do it. I also think there's a little bit of... Like, I think Tony Khan is almost more wrestling fan than wrestling business owner. And I think part of it is he likes seeing John Moxley in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Like, I, I really don't think that that is outside of his mentality. Like, I, I do think part of it is just... Tony Khan's a wrestling fan. If letting some of his wrestling wrestlers go to another wrestling promotion would create good wrestling, I think Tony Khan is fine with it. So is he going to let a, a like FTR go to NWA? He might. So anyway, Dax responds to this email by NWA with just, let's effing go. And the NWA brought up 
in another, you can just see all these tweets up on the website, but a fan brought up, hey, you have the Crockett Cup. Why don't you bring the Crockett Cup back to its former glory, a 24-team tag team tournament? And the NWA bothered to respond to the guy and said, oh, yeah, we do have that thing, don't we? So that, to me, sounds interesting. Like, if the NWA decide we're going to do a 24-tag team tournament, we're going to do the Crockett Cup back as it used to be. And if these forbidden door type relationships are allowing like the Briscoes to come from ROH or, uh, you know, the Good Brothers from Impact Wrestling or, you know, the teams from the NWA, FTR, like that, that could be really interesting. And that's the kind of thing that could put the NWA right back on the map. I mean, the NWA... Since they came back, they're now sort of on, on fight, and they're be behind a paywall. It's a very small paywall. Uh, I mean, it's just like five bucks a month or something, and then you see all these shows. But it that going behind a paywall, it, it while it's going to bring in more revenue for them, it also sort of less people are seeing the shows, and then less people are talking about the shows, and so they... They seem less important. So they, NWA seems a little bit more hidden since they came back. I, I, I hear about them less from wrestling fans. Um, but they're, they're obviously making more money from, from the fans that they do have, which, which is good. But something like this, something like an, like an interpromotional Crockett Cup tournament on pay-per-view on fight, I think that could create a real buzz around the wrestling industry and get more eyes on on the NWA's product. Now, how does that help AEW? How does FTR being in the Crockett Cup or being in the NWA help AEW? I don't know that it does, right? Like, it's not like fans of the NWA aren't aware of AEW. You could get some, like, old, like, Jim Cornette-style fans where they don't like this new school wrestling with Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, and they don't want to see it. Maybe having FTR show up on, on NWA and kind of implying, like, hey, you can see good tag team wrestling on, a on AEW. Maybe that might win over some of the NWA sort of wrestling traditionalists and get them to, to check out AEW. But for the most part, I would imagine that AEW would allow FTR to do this because they know FTR would want to do it, and it would keep them happy and motivated. That's just me speculating. But a lot of the Forbidden Door stuff that's been happening online, Deanna Perrazzo is all over it. Like, everybody wants to wrestle Deanna Perrazzo, who, if you're not following Impact, she's the Impact Knockouts champion. Now, I'm recording this on Saturday morning. Slammiversary is tonight. Deanna Perrazzo is scheduled to face a mystery opponent on the show. That could be anybody. And like it really anybody. Anybody that's not in WWE could be Deanna Perrazzo's opponent. And actually, that's one of two mystery spots on the show. But we're gonna do a whole slam anniversary pay-per-view later, so we'll get to it. So Deanna Perrazzo just responded to a tweet uh Lenny Leonard had tweeted out the ROH Women's World Championship belt, which looks friggin' gorgeous. And Ring of Honor, of course, with with Maria Kanellis heading it up, are revamping their women's division, trying to really put a focus on women's wrestling. I think Maria's the perfect person to do this for Ring of Honor. If you don't know, Maria's super smart. Paul Heyman worked with Maria in OVW and always sung her praises, said that this woman has an incredible mind for the business. She actually went into, like, she got a degree in some type of sports and entertainment field that I can't believe even exists for people to be able to get a degree in. But she's, like, actually educated in running sports-style events, like promoting them. And she actually has some company that does something for weddings. I don't know. Anyway, bottom line is Maria is way smarter than you might think she is. And she is sort of the key person now with Ring of Honor's women's division. And it feels like she's really reaching out to kind of get female wrestlers from other companies into her division. Deanna Perrazzo being one of them. So anyway, Deanna Perrazzo wrote, I want a shot at them. You know, give me all the goal. And she tagged Scott Demore from Impact and Maria from Ring of Honor. 
and Ring of Honor responded. Well, Ian Rigabani basically sent out a bunch of tweets noting that Nashville, where Impact does its tapings, St. Louis, where the NWA is going to be at the end of next month, and Baltimore, where Ring of Honor does its tapings, they're all kind of on the way to each other. You could fit them all together in sort of a tidy road trip. And this is, like, Ian Rigabani is the play-by-play guy for Ring of Honor. If Ring of Honor didn't want him out there talking about the NWA or Impact Wrestling, then he wouldn't be doing it. So to me, it feels very strongly like these three promotions, NWA, Ring of Honor, and Impact in particular, have come to some agreement and want fans to be aware that something's going to happen. That that something, that these three companies are going to exchange talent. If they didn't want fans to know this, these tweets wouldn't have come out. And that's why we're talking about them right now. Now, what's going to happen? Who's going to go where? Is Deanna Perrazzo going to go to Ring of Honor? Is Chelsea Green going to go to AW? You know, because Chelsea Green showed up in Ring of Honor last weekend. I don't really know, but this can only be good for wrestling. Because if you've got wrestling promotions trading talent back and forth, you've got matchups that you never thought you could get before. You've got deeper divisions in smaller companies. That means more matchups, more fresh storylines, and more good wrestling for wrestling fans. So what Ring of Honor, NWA, and Impact have been that they are tweeting at each other and teasing more forbidden door type talent relations, this is good for wrestling fans. And that AEW is involved in it as well, considering the large roster of great talent they have. I mean, this is just great for all wrestling fans. Davey Boy Smith Jr. is back in WWE, the son of the British Bulldog, the cousin of Natalya, the nephew of Brett and Owen Hart. He is back. He's going to be wrestling under his real name, Harry Smith. WWE posted an exclusive digital interview with Harry Smith from SmackDown last night. He wasn't on SmackDown. He wrestled on a dark match before the show, and then they taped an interview with him backstage and posted that. And here is what he said. The interview, of course, is up at SpoilerFreeWrestling.com as well. So Harry Smith said, you know, it's great to be back in the WWE, especially in front of the WWE Universe live here in Houston, Texas. The atmosphere, the ambiance, the energy that you can feel from a live WWE audience, nothing can touch that. And that's why Harry Smith is back in the WWE. The past 10 years, I've been going around the globe, making myself the best competitor that I can be all over in Japan, all over in Europe. And that's why I'm back in the WWE to show exactly how much Harry Smith has grown over this past time. So, hey, that's big. The former Hart Dynasty member, him and Tyson Kidd, of course, held the WWE Tag Team Championships once, the World Tag Team Championships once. Uh, Him and Lance Archer as the Killer Elite Squad won the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championships three times. And then, most recently in MLW, him and the, the New Hart Foundation with Teddy Hart and Brian Pillman Jr., they held the Tag Team Championships once and freebirded the titles, the three of them. So David Boy Smith Jr., Harry Smith, back in WWE. So it'll be interesting to see what he does moving forward. So Impact Wrestling presents Slammiversary tonight. We're recording this Saturday morning. Some of you listening to this, the event may have already taken place. But it's a big show for Slammiversary, as last year was a big show for Slammiversary as well. This show always seems to take place 90 days after after the latest post-WrestleMania WWE roster cuts have been made. And so now some of the people who were fired are released, which is a nicer way of saying fired, they can show up at Slammiversary. Now, WWE did their cuts kind of weird this year. They cut a bunch of people after WrestleMania, but then, like, last month, they decided to cut a bunch of people before they head out on the road as well. Like, they they cut, you know, Braun Strowman, Ruby Riot, things like that. So not everybody that's been cut by WWE recently is available but those first cuts after WrestleMania and then any any wrestler who was released but somehow sort of 
found a way around their no-compete clause or negotiated out of their no-compete clause. Like, for instance, we saw Malachi Black show up in Dynamite last week, and a lot of people thought he still had 60 days left. So who knows? But there are two mystery open spots in on Slammiversary. One of those mystery spots was just made this week. So Brian Myers and Matt Cardona, former tag team champions in WWE, they're feuding in Impact. And this week, Cardona is there with Sam Beal. No, sorry, Brian Myers is out there with Sam Beal. Sam Beal is like his protege. And Matt Cardona is out there with Jake something. They get into, you know, an argument. (laughs) Things get heated. It turns physical. But then the Tennille Dashwood appears out of nowhere and gives a low blow to Cardona. And they'd sort of referenced that these two have a bit of a history. And so later, Scott Demore announced that there will be a match at Slammiversary. Tennille Dashwood and Brian Myers versus Matt Cardona and a mystery partner of his choosing. Now, obviously, the first person a lot of people would think is, well, that's Chelsea Green, right? I mean, Chelsea Green and Matt Cardona, I think they're engaged or married or together or something or other. They're definitely together. But Chelsea Green, we're still not sure if she's medically cleared. She had put out a tweet saying, oh, if I, if I didn't have a broken arm, I'd get in there. And blah, 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 blah. So that could be them saying it's not Chelsea Green. Or it could be them saying it's not Chelsea Green, but then they'll still have it be Chelsea Green. So it could be Chelsea Green. It could not be Chelsea Green. Who knows? But somebody, a mystery partner, will will debut or re-debut in that match. So that's one of the two spots on Slammiversary they have for to, to announce that they've signed somebody, basically. Also on Slammiversary, Eddie Edwards will face W. Morrissey. As I said last week, W. Morrissey is killing it in Impact Wrestling. He is, uh, like, he just looks like a monster. He looks like a giant, and he's beaten Willie Mack. He's beaten Rich Swan. He's And now he's going to face Eddie Edwards here, another multi-time former Impact World Champion. If he beats Eddie Edwards, I mean, that's multiple former world champions he's beat. I think at that point, W. Morrissey is a guy who might be in the running to, to face Kenny Omega. You know, I, I, I could see something like that happening. Of course, Eddie, you know, Eddie Edwards could totally beat W. Morrissey, too. We could see that happen as well. Moose will take on Chris Sabin. You got Moose wants to get back into the world title picture after losing to Kenny Omega when he had his crack at him. Chris Sabin, former... Former Impact World Champion, he'd like to be back in the mix as well. Then we've got Ultimate X returning. Josh Alexander, the champion, challenges or will face Rohit Raju, Chris Bay, Trey Miguel, Ace Austin, and Petey Williams. So you've got you've got six very talented wrestlers in a match type that you know really features flashy big spot wrestling. So that should be very interesting. Got a knockouts tag team title match, which I think they've moved to the pre-show now. Fire and Flavor, Flava will defend against Rosemary and Havoc. And we saw in a segment on this week's show, Rosemary has enlisted the help of Father James Mitchell to help make Havoc a full-fledged member of Decay. So we'll see what happens with that. We've got a four-way match for the Impact Tag Team titles. The Violent by Design faction. So I'm not sure. It's probably like Diener and Joe Doring. Eric Young, of course, is also in that faction, but he is uh, injured right now. Rhino is also in that faction, so he could be thrown into that mix. Could be like Rhino and Joe Doring. But Violent by Design, it's just any members of the group can defend the titles. They will defend against the Good Brothers, Carl Anderson, Doc Gallows, Willie Mack and Rich Swan, and TJP and Fala Ba. So we'll see who walks out of that match with the Tag Team Championships. And then, as mentioned, for the knockouts title, Deanna Peraza will defend against a mystery opponent. This all started when Peraza was cutting a promo a few weeks back, and Gail Kim came out to let Peraza know that she won't know who her opponent at Slammiversary will be ahead of time. And of course, this is another opportunity for Impact to, to reveal a new returning wrestler. 
And in the main event, in a match I'm sure you do not want to miss, I know it's been made a no disqualification match recently. Kenny Omega versus Sammy Callahan. This will be good. If you follow Impact Wrestling, Sammy Callahan is arguably, he's at least in the running for that promotion's MVP. He has had some fantastic matches over the years. And the no disqualification match style fits him perfectly. And Kenny Omega, as we know from lights out matches and barbed wire death matches, Kenny Omega seems to really like this style of match, seems to really be motivated to go out and have creative plunders type matches. And that's what I imagine what Kenny Omega and Sammy Callahan are going to have tonight. And I think this could be Kenny Omega's best match so far in Impact Wrestling. So that all goes down tonight. Impact Wrestling Slammiversary. It's arguably the biggest night of the year for Impact. All right, so let's run down Money in the Bank. It takes place tomorrow from the Dickies Arena in Fort Worth, Texas, Money in the Bank 2021. We got seven matches. One was added on SmackDown last night. For the kickoff show, the Usos will challenge Dominic and Rey Mysterio for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. So that should be interesting. I think it's I, I think that match result is completely up in the air. I think the Mysterios could walk out still the champions, but I also think the Usos could certainly win the titles. And then you've got them and Roman Reigns all holding gold for their for their trio, their faction, the Bloodline. I'm not sure if they still use the Bloodline nickname, but you know, that's definitely a possibility. We'll see what happens on the kickoff show. The Raw Tag Team titles will also be on the line at Money in the Bake. AJ Styles and Omos, they are holding those belts. They go against one of the few established teams on Raw, the Viking Raiders, Eric and Ivar. So this should be interesting to see if the Viking Raiders can dethrone the team of Styles and Omos. Of course, Omos is really just getting his main roster WWE career started. It should be interesting to see where they go with him. Uh, we've got the Raw Women's Championship on the line. Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair. This is, uh, they've met twice in singles action before Charlotte Flair won both times. And sort of the idea seems to be here that Ripley and Charlotte Flair are kind of competing to see who can cheat the most. And Flair seems oddly into kind of mentoring Ripley on how to cheat. So I'm not, there's some, there's some subtle storyline stuff happening here too. So there, there could be a lot of story in this match. We'll just have to see what happens between Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair tomorrow night. Uh, for the WWE Championship, Bobby Lashley is going to defend against Kofi Kingston. Will we get to see the return of Kofi Mania? Certainly, that would create quite, quite the reaction at Money in the Bank if Kofi Kingston could win the WWE Championship for a second time. Bobby Lashley, of course, he has been the champion since... Since defeating Miz for the title, and he's now finally gotten rid of... He's finally gotten Drew McIntyre off his back. But now he's got to worry about Kofi Kingston. Could Kofi Kingston get back into that spot where he's like a main event guy? Do we see the return of Kofi Mania? That's what's on the line. The WWE Championship and the return of Kofi Mania on the line at Money in the Bank. Can Kofi Kingston do it? Then we've got the Universal Championship match. Roman Reigns versus Edge. Edge finally gets that one-on-one -on -one match he wanted with Roman Reigns. He, of course, had to uh, share the, the title shot at WrestleMania with Daniel Bryan in a triple threat. No Daniel Bryan this time, un unfortunately. Uh, but we do get Roman Reigns versus Edge. Then, of course, we have the two Money in the Bank ladder matches. I always love these because you're looking at the roster and you're like, all right, who, who here could turn into a main event guy. So if you look at the men's Money in the Bank match, it's sort of, hmm, it's, a, it's interesting to see like who it could be. Who do you think out of these names could walk away with the Money in the Bank briefcase? Is it going to be Ricochet? Is it going to be John Morrison? Is it going to be Matt Riddle? Is it going to be Drew McIntyre? And of course, with McIntyre, you have to remember there is that stipulation that he can't challenge Bobby Lashley for the title. Well, Lashley is still champion. Now, 
Now, maybe that all goes away if Kofi Kingston beats Bobby Lashley tonight, or maybe Drew McIntyre wins the briefcase and moves to SmackDown to challenge Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre did meet at Survivor Series last year with Roman Reigns coming out the victor, but maybe Drew McIntyre wants a little revenge. Also in the match, we've got Big E. I know a lot of people are kind of hoping Big E can get closer to that first ever world championship. I think a lot of people are just really hoping Big E becomes a guy who wins the world title at some point or a world title at some point. Even if it's a money in the bank cash in that gets him there, I think a lot of a lot of Big E and New Day fans would take it. That'd be fine. That'd be great. And what a show it would be if Big E wins the men's money in the bank briefcase and Kofi Kingston wins the WWE championship. That could be interesting. I mean, they're on different brands, but it could still be interesting. Kevin Owens is in the match. It's been a while since he's been in the world title mix. Shinsuke Nakamura, or King Nakamura, is in the match. And I don't think Nakamura's really been in the title picture too much. He may have had a title shot here or there, but I think you go back to that year he won the Royal Rumble. A lot of people thinking, all right, here we go. Nakamura's going to win the title. He's going to be a world championship level performer in WWE, and it didn't happen. Well, maybe he wins the money in the bank. Maybe it does happen. Seth Rollins, of course, he's a former Money in the Bank winner, and he cashed that sucker in in the main event of WrestleMania one year. And is he maybe thinking, this is my ticket back into the world title picture. Seth Rollins is also in the men's Money in the Bank match Sunday night in Fort Worth, Texas. And then the women's Money in the Bank match, we got Asuka. Asuka, of course, won it last year. And last year's women's Money in the Bank ladder match ended up being for the title although no one knew it at the time. So Asuka won the briefcase. The next night on Raw, Becky Lynch announces that the Raw title is actually in that briefcase. She's vacating the belt because she's going to be a mother. It was a fairly dramatic moment. So Asuka, she's back in the Women's Money in the Bank ladder match uh, this year. Uh, Naomi, Nikki Cross, the, the newly minted superhero, Alexa Bliss and her mind control will be in the match. The returning Zelina Vega is in the Money in the Bank ladder match. Her support of unions notwithstanding. Liv Morgan was finally added to the Money in the Bank ladder match. Uh, Natalia and Tamina, the women's tag team champions, will also be in the Money in the Bank ladder match. So who do you think is winning this one? It really could be any of them. Um... There, are, there has been a lot of story building up Liv Morgan's entrance into this match, and you almost wonder, like, hmm, maybe they're thinking it's time to pull the trigger on Liv Morgan. Maybe Liv Morgan can be like a like a next-level star. And that's really what the Money in the Bank is, kind of. Similar to, if you remember what the King of the Ring used to be. The King of the Ring used to be, like, a chance for a mid-carder to become a main eventer. That's sort of what the, the Money in the Bank feels like. Although from time to time, they'll just have a main eventer win it too. So, so who could that be? Oscar won it last year. Naomi, Nikki Cross, Alexa Bliss maybe? It's been a long time since Alexa Bliss has been in the, in the title picture. Of course, she's got a whole new character now. Zelina Vega, I mean, that would certainly be a, a big boom for, for her so, so quickly uh, into her return. Natalia and Tamina, the tag champs, I don't know. Anyway, this match seems completely up in the air. Who could win? Really, I think anybody could. And that's Money in the Bank. That takes place Sunday from the Dickies Arena in Fort Worth, Texas. And just before we go, why don't we just run down the lineup for Fighter Fest Night 2 for AEW on July 21st from the Curtis Caldwell Center. Curtis Caldwell Center in Garland, Texas. So, man, these, these wrestling companies have said Florida and Texas. That's where we're doing our early post-pandemic shows. That's where we'll get our biggest audiences. So there's four matches that have been announced for this show. AEW Women's World Championship on the line. Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, defending against Nyla Rose. This should be interesting. Boy, does Baker seem popular now. Like, Baker's, when she's given a promo and she goes to to say Britt Baker DMD, the way the whole crowd chants DMD with her. Man, man, Britt Baker is on another level in terms of popularity. 
She is exactly what they always wanted her to be. Like, remember when AEW started and she was the biggest name that they signed for their women's division and she really wasn't a name at all at that time? She was just someone who was had kind of built up a small buzz on the indies. It's like, she was not that big of a name. She didn't really become the star she is now until she turned heel. I'm not even sure if she still is heel. I think she's just heel enough because they don't want to change the character because it's been so successful, but they know fans love her. So they're just like, you're a heel, but we're going to put you up against other heels so people can cheer you. And that's kind of why she's facing Nyla Rose. But that, but hey, Nyla Rose has won, like every time these two have faced each other, Nyla Rose has won. So Britt Baker's got to get over this hump. Gotta gotta avenge her losses to Nyla Rose to make her title reign feel significant, right? Nyla Rose, like she's she's gotta be able to defeat Nyla Rose to prove she really is the best of the best in the AEW women's division. In storyline. We've got another IWGP United States Championship match on Fighter Fest Night 2. Remember John Moxley defeated Carl Anderson, machine gun Carl Anderson on last week's show and what I thought was a great match. And I thought it was really cool to see kind of Carl Anderson um, on that level again. You know, I, I think we're getting ready to see the the real Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows. Obviously, they've, they've been wrestling in Impact for a year, but we're getting ready to see them return to New Japan Pro Wrestling. And that really, I feel, is like Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows' is home, right? Like that's their home promotion where they fit the best. And we're about to get those guys back again. And, of course, we'll see them tonight. They might win the Impact Tag Team titles tonight. Uh, They got as good a shot as anybody at winning the titles in that match. Of course, they are the former champions. Uh, Who who else they got in that match? Willie Mack and Rich Swan. Eh, they could win it. Violent by Design could retain. Uh, TJP and Falaba. Oh, actually, they just announced TJP is out for tonight. So I'm not totally sure what's going to happen there. But TJP is off the card tonight, so... Uh, then a couple other matches booked. Chris Jericho starts his, it's sort of that thing where he's got to go through all the members of the pinnacle to get to MJF again. So it's this sort of like long, well, not like long-term story, but it's a story that's going to have different chapters every week. And this first chapter is Chris Jericho versus Sean Spears, where the chair, chairs will be legal for Sean Spears, but not Chris Jericho. How an athletic commission signed up, uh, signed off on this, I'll never know. And then Orange Cassidy is in action. He takes on the Blade from the Hardy family office. And those are the four matches that have been announced for Fighter Fest Night 2. And that'll do us again for this week, everyone. You are now completely up to date on everything that is making headlines in the world of professional wrestling, aside from anything that would spoil your future enjoyment of the shows. Thank you again for supporting these shows, the website, and everything we do. I'm your host, Gentleman Ian, for Spoiler Free Wrestling.